Good morning. All right, happy Resurrection Sunday. My name is Matt, and if you are visiting, then welcome to Calvary Chapel. We're uh, super glad you're here. Um, We wanted to start off with this video because uh, Easter Sunday morning, we kind of know what to expect. You know, um, it's funny because my wife is very traditional. She said, you should wear a tie. I was like, really? You think I should wear a tie? She goes, yeah, at least at least one other person will wear a tie. I said, well, I don't know. We'll see. And I saw a few of you with ties. So for those of you that wore ties, thank you so that I'm not the only one. Uh, but this morning, um, see, w- we can get dressed up. There's Easter parades. And, and if you look in the past in history, there, there were Easter bonnets. People would kind of get dressed up. But th- I wanted to start off with this video because for this first Resurrection Sunday, for the disciples, for the people that knew Jesus when he was crucified, there was no hope on this day. Today would have been the bleakest day in the history of mankind. It would have been the most depressing. You know, I, I can't imagine what Peter would have felt like on this day. So this morning when we pray, uh, I'm just going to ask you to pray with me. I'm just going to ask God to um, really help us to understand what the resurrection is all about and what this means. You've heard it before that Jesus saves, right? Um, it's kind of uh, the advertisement, if you would, for, for this kind of Easter Sunday morning service. But it's more than that. It's this phrase that if um, someone's ever come up to you or maybe you've seen a bumper sticker or you've seen a t-shirt, Jesus saves, what does that mean? What does that even mean for me? And what does that mean for us? And so um, I will ask you at the end of uh, the message, you'll have an opportunity to make a decision uh, for those that are followers of Christ and those who are not yet followers, um, and it's no pressure, but I, I do want to say this, that it's so important that I want to give you that opportunity, and uh, I compel you to uh, to make a decision because I care about you, and maybe someone else cared about you enough to invite you here this morning as well. So let's pray, and let's ask God to uh, bless our time. Lord, this morning, uh, we want to thank you this uh, Resurrection Sunday, this Easter Sunday morning. Uh, Father, for uh, us, Lord, we, we kind of know what to expect on a day like this. Lord, uh, for some people um, that have grown up around the church, they know that there are, are things that are called sunrise services on uh, Easter sometimes. Lord, there are uh, times when uh, we, we kind of get dressed up and it's a, a celebration. But Lord, on this, um, on this day, as we open up your word, we realize that first Easter Sunday morning, that first Resurrection Sunday, it was bleak. Um, So God, I I pray for anyone here that feels like their life is kind of bleak right now. Uh, Maybe they feel um, just kind of on the outside looking in. But Lord, I pray that you would help us to understand what this means, that Jesus saves. Lord, we don't want it to be religious mantra. We don't want it to be a slogan. God, we want to know what it means in reality for us today. And so today, God, we ask that you would bless this time. And Lord, help us to understand. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, uh, what we're going to do is we are going to look at seven uh, different views uh, through the eyes of these seven people and what it means that Jesus saves. In fact, when I consider what it means that Jesus saves, um, it, there's, there's this thing that uh, there was a movie out. I don't know uh, what it was called, but it was, uh, you know, it was, a, it was called Jesus Camp, I think it was. And uh, just kind of a mockery of a, a movie, kind of a real satire about Jesus camp and this whole thing of what Jesus saves means. But when my brother became a Christian, he, he started following Christ in the 1970s. So I want to take you back to the 1970s and what it was like for him to become a Christian. My brother, he went away, um, his friend went away to a camp, a, a Jesus camp, came back and the guy was kind of changed. So the guy came back and he told my brother about Jesus and who Jesus is. And he started talking to my brother. And uh, my brother actually prayed with him to receive Christ. He didn't even know exactly what that meant because my brother went to a Catholic school. But for him, it was all just a a religious traditional thing. Uh, My brother, uh, growing up in the Catholic church, he went through what is called the sacraments in the Catholic church. He had a first communion. He went through his confession. But for him personally, he kind of didn't understand what it meant to have this relationship with God. This one kid went to this camp and he came back and everyone said that this kid had religion now. Hey, did you hear about it? You know, Jonathan has religion. Jonathan has religion. Everyone in the school is talking about Jonathan has religion. So my brother's kind of listening to that, what that means. And, and so 
he's telling my brother that it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship with Christ. Um, it means that you you want Jesus to come into your life to fill you with with his presence. You want to know him. And so my brother's kind of listening, and it was all new to him. And so when my brother prayed this prayer, he said it wasn't like anything dramatic happened. There was no, like, all of a sudden light in the sky. There was no, you know, this incredible emotion. But he said he just kind of felt different. Went to school on Monday, kind of felt a little bit different. And what he started to notice was that in his life, things started to make a little bit more sense. He started to realize that there was a God that cared about him. And then he started to read the Bible. And when he read the Bible for himself, he started to read who Jesus was. And that was the thing that blew him away. If you've never read the Bible for yourself, if you've never opened it up, um, there's these four books called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I just encourage you to read uh, them for yourself to find out who Jesus is. Because my brother was raised in a religious home, but he didn't have that relationship. Well, my brother started following Christ. And before you know it, he started going to a church. And at this church, they had this, this symbol, and it was this finger. Not, not, not another finger. It was, okay, it was this index finger, like the number one. And if any of you grew up at that time, do any of you remember that sign? What was that? It's called One Way. And what that meant was the one way was Jesus. It was all about Jesus. And so as a kid, it was all new to me. I didn't quite understand, but I remember my brother got a bumper sticker on his car and it was a hand like this and it said one way. So when we would drive on the road, we'd be driving next to someone and we would go like this, like one way. We'd put our fingers up and other people that had that sticker would, would do this also. And it meant like, hey, we're of the way also. We, we have this same way. We, we are followers of Christ. Um, but... It, you know, going into the 80s, I remember I tried to do that to someone and they give me a different finger because they didn't, they didn't know what I was doing when I was, I was doing this. They thought like I was saying something else, you know. Um, the reason why I'm sharing that with you is for those that are followers of Christ, uh, you know that it, it kind of, it changed your life when you became a follower of Christ. It, it, for my brother, it, it changed everything. And that's when I started to get real curious to find out what this was. I started going to a church uh, called Calvary Chapel, West Covina. Uh, the pastor, um, it was actually a Kung Fu studio that was converted into a church. Uh, my pastor's name was Raul Reese, and he had just become a Christian not too long before then. Uh, he really didn't know a whole lot, um, but he just would open up the Bible and would read it, and they would talk about it. The thing that blew me away that was different was I felt love. As a kid, I felt love. I would go into that church and I'd feel like, hey, these people, there's something different about them. So for us as, as uh, you know, living in 2014, um, I want us to look at this scripture when we, when we open up to Luke chapter 23 with fresh eyes to realize for these people, this was all new to them. Jesus had been preaching. There were different miracles that he had done. But then at the end of his life, coming to the last day of his life, those that were closest to him, they all took off and they all fled. They all went their own way. Uh, Peter, who is uh, like one of Jesus' best friends, he denied him three times. Uh, That's what you saw in the video. So on this day, the stone was rolled in front of the tomb. And this is the trial leading up to it. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. The first guy that we are going to look at is a guy named Pilate. Now, if you know about Pontius Pilate, he was like a a governor. He kind of was a a governor of an area. And um, the people brought Jesus to Pilate to find out what Pilate would think because they wanted to crucify Jesus. And it says in Luke chapter 23, the whole multitude of them arose and they led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Now the word Christ is the chosen one or the Messiah. So the people come with this accusation. They're saying that Jesus is anti-government. He doesn't want to pay taxes. He doesn't want to follow Caesar, that he himself is a king. So Pilate asked him this question. He said, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, it is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. The first thing I see about Pilate is that he sees nothing wrong with Jesus. And maybe some of you are kind of neutral and you say, there's nothing wrong with Jesus. 
My problem is with religious people. My problem is with Christians. But when I read the Bible and I read about Jesus, I, I don't find anything wrong with Jesus. Nothing wrong with him. So this is what he says. Hey, I, there's nothing wrong with him. But in verse five, it says, they were the more fierce saying, he stirs up the people teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now, this is a pretty intense accusation. What they accuse Jesus of is perverting the nation. Now, that's kind of a crazy thing for a religious leader. Can you imagine someone today being accused of perverting the nation? Now, I I could imagine that Howard Stern maybe would be accused of perverting the nation. I can't see that Jesus would be accused of perverting the nation, but this is what they said. And even though Pilate in his mind says, I find nothing wrong with this guy, the majority of the people start to sway him so that he's so afraid of saying what he really believes. And you know, we live in a world and a culture today of groupthink. Uh, groupthink is this mindset that, that if you go against what everyone else is saying, you have got to be out of your mind. And sometimes we don't even trust our own minds. We don't even trust our own thoughts because other people will come and say, how can you believe that? How can you think that? Well, this was the case for Pilate. So Pilate is listening to the people. And by the way, the majority of people believing one thing doesn't make that thing right or true. Do you realize that in Nazi Germany, during the time of the Holocaust, the majority of the people that were in Germany, they really believed that what they were doing was right. And maybe even if they didn't, they kind of turned off their thinking and said, we should just go with the majority of the people so that we kind of don't go against the system. Now, I don't know if you've read the news recently about what's happening in the Ukraine, but here's a crazy thing. A flyer was just circulated this last week, verified through news sources, that they wanted the Jews in the Ukraine to register again. And they wanted them to pay a fee for citizenship. And if they didn't pay the fee, then they would lose their rights as citizens. Now, that's a very, very scary thing for any of you that are students of history to see that happening in our world today still. And you think about this and you realize that sometimes the majority of people can believe something that could be totally wrong. In fact, the majority of people in the world today believe um, in this survey, it was taken in U.S. News and World Report. Here was the survey. If you were asked in the United States, what person do you believe would go to heaven? If they were to die or judgment to come, what person do you believe would go to heaven? Number one person that was chosen. Well, let me tell you who it was um, at the time. It was Mother Teresa. Now, Mother Teresa has died since that survey has come out. She was number one on the list. Um, actually, she was number two. There was someone ahead of her. Uh, number, number three at the time was Oprah Winfrey. They, people thought that Oprah Winfrey, if there was someone that would go to heaven, it would be Mother Teresa and then Oprah Winfrey. Um, do you know who is number one on the list? Number one person that people said was the answer, me. Not me personally, but them. Everybody said, well, I I would go to heaven. That was the number one answer. The majority of people said it would be me. In fact, over 80% of the people that were surveyed said, for sure, I'm going to heaven. Now, Mother Teresa got 79%. So me, you know, we, we got 80%. Like, hey, in my mind, if I believe that, if enough people believe that, it must be true. And remember, simply because the majority of people believe something doesn't make it true. So the people... They started to stir up Pilate and they said, they said, Pilate, this guy is guilty. And Pilate saying, I, I don't think anything's wrong with him. In verse six, when Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if a man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jur- jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. So this is what Pilate wants to do. He wants to pass the buck because he says, hey, this guy's from Galilee, right? Well, Herod is kind of in charge of Galilee, So I'm going to send him over to another, you know, a different political leader, a different governor, a different mayor, a magistrate, if you would. And and let's see what he says. So in verse eight, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad for he had desired a long time to see him because he heard many things about him. 
and he hoped to see some miracle that was to be done by him. Then he questioned him with many words, but Jesus answered him nothing. Here's the second guy. The first guy we looked at was Pilate. And Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with him. Many people find nothing wrong with Jesus. Uh, There's another view of Jesus, and it's this view of Pilate, or, or this view of Herod. Herod says, I just want to see him crack out those miracles. I just crank out the miracles, Jesus. You know, if you're real, then I want to see that you would, um, I'm losing my job. You know, layoffs are coming. So I'm going to throw up this prayer. Jesus, if you're real, let me not be one of the people that's laid off. You get laid off, of course, it can't, Jesus isn't real. Or you find out, hey, there's something that's going on in, in your health. I'm sick. Okay, Jesus, if you're real, then then show me the miracle. Let me be the person that's healed. And you know, the mindset of Herod is this. It's the mindset that says, Jesus, I'll follow you as long as you do what I ask you to do and you show me the miracles. As long as I see the miracles, as long as he answers them. It's almost like we want Jesus to be a genie. We want him to to make our lives smooth. And you know what? There are a lot of Christian books that are out there today that kind of teach this, which isn't what Jesus taught. Jesus taught this. He said, in the world, you will have tribulation. This world will have troubles, will have difficulties. He said, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. In fact, when it comes to wanting to see miracles, there is an account in Luke chapter 16 of this rich man who after he dies, he asks Abraham, uh, there's this chasm between him and Abraham And it says that he asks Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you know, my father, would you send, um, would you, would you please send uh, Lazarus to my father's house? Let him come. I have five brothers, and uh, I want these five brothers to know that God is real because I don't want them to come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, father, Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. See, Herod, he, he, he wanted to see these miracles. But Jesus explained something. Even when people see miracles, they don't necessarily become followers of Christ. Now, let me give you an example. In the Old Testament... When you read in the Bible, there was a man named Moses that God used to deliver his people from uh, the Pharaoh. And when Moses um, came to Pharaoh, God granted through the hand of Moses that these 10 plagues would fall upon Egypt because they wouldn't allow God's people, the Israelites, to leave and to worship. And when all of these plagues started to happen, there were these 10 plagues. Finally, you know, Pharaoh said, okay, I'll, I'll let you go. They went into the wilderness. They didn't have food. Um, Remember that God parted the Red Sea for them to walk through. Then he provided for them something called manna, some some type of bread from heaven. And then they had quail. They had meat to eat. They had this pillar of fire at night to see the way. And in the daytime, there was a cloud that would cover them in the desert. They saw all of these miracles. And that generation died without entering the promised land. And do you know why? Why? God says, because of unbelief. And one of the things that I see is that sometimes the world says, if I don't see it, I won't believe it. But the word of God says, if I won't believe it, I won't see it. Now that's a weird thing for people that aren't people of faith. But if you want strong faith, simply pray this. Because remember I told you at the end, you're gonna have an opportunity to make a decision. That decision is a decision of faith. But when it comes to faith, God gives us enough light to help us to make a decision, to help us to understand, but faith is still required. Let me give you an example of that. When I was teaching at a public high school, um, I was teaching a class called The Bible is Literature. So I didn't teach it the same way that I'm teaching it here today. I taught it as a book, but, but it's not just a book. You know, it's, there's something special about this book. You know, it's the most widely uh, read, sold book in, in the history of mankind. And this one student on day one of class, his name was Ben. He raised his hand. 
And he said, I just want to know as we start this class, you know, 40 students and probably maybe eight were, were believers. He said, I just want to know, do you really believe that this book is true? It's day one of class. I looked at him. I said, well, since you asked, I said, yeah, I do. And Ben got this big smile on his face. He said, so you believe that, that God spoke and brought the world into existence? I said, yeah, Ben. I said, I, I believe that. You know, I'm just answering his questions as a teacher. You know, he's asking me personal questions. I'm, I'm answering them. And he, he said, so, so you believe that, that God created the world? And I said, yeah, I, I do. And he kept going with these questions. And I kind of stopped him. I said, well, Ben, I said, I have some questions for you. And Ben was an incredibly bright student. He, he scored almost a 1600 on the SAT. So this guy, he, 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 he took the class really to mock the class and to mock the teacher that was teaching it. And I asked him the question, Ben, do you believe that the universe has always existed? It's always been here. And he said, no, kind of with a, a smug look on his face. He said the second law of thermodynamics you know, shows that to be false. You know, you know, there's entropy that happens. And at one point in time, the, the earth was full of energy and it's dissipating and things move from you know, order to disorder. He's, he's talking to me about this. I said, okay, Ben, if you were walking on the beach and you found a ball, just a perfectly formed sphere, a glass ball, the ball comes up on the shore. You pick it up. I said, what would you think? And he said, well, he goes, I, I would think that it was probably manufactured. And he said, why do you think that? And he said, because, he goes, I, I wouldn't think that the ball would be a perfect sphere. He goes, there might have been like a, a bubble, like a gas bubble or something. He goes, but it wouldn't be, you know, gas. And he just goes in this long explanation. I said, okay. I said, that, that's pretty cool. I said, Ben, what would you think if the ball were bigger? I said, let's say like more than like just a few yards bigger. Let's say that it was thousands of miles big. And uh, this ball was so big that little creatures can live on it. And there was another ball that was a lot bigger than that ball that was really hot. And this little ball was suspended in space and it's spinning thousands of miles an hour and it's rotating around this bigger ball that gives it heat. And if it's a little bit closer, it burns. If it's a little bit farther away, it freezes. And on this ball that's spinning around, there's creatures that live on it that don't go flying off of that ball. I said, what would you think then? I said, or let's make the ball smaller. What if the ball was so small that it had this aqueous fluid in it with rods and cones that could take light images in and turn them around and make it into an image like an eyeball. What do you think about that? And he just sat and he was kind of dumbfounded. And I looked at him, I said, Ben, you know what? I said, we both are men of faith. I said, but you have more faith than I have because the faith that I have, you know, I think that there's enough for me to believe what I believe. I said, your faith is a belief that this explosion happened. All of a sudden this order came out of chaos. And I said, I don't have that kind of faith. The reason why I share that with you is that the mindset of Herod is this mindset that says, I will only believe when God takes orders from me to do the miracles that I want him to do. And God says, no, I am the creator. I am the God that creates and I'm the one that created you. And so you have to come to me on my terms. So faith is required. Let me tell you about a third uh, type of person these are religious people. I think you'd be shocked to find that. These are religious people in verse 13. It says, Then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, he said to them, You've brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. Neither did Herod, for I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Therefore, I'll chastise him and I'll release him. For it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. So Herod, he throws Jesus back into the hands of Pilate. You know, Jesus is kind of like this political football. No one wants him. No one wants to make a decision about him. So Pilate brings him back to the people and says, okay, I didn't find any fault. I sent him to Herod. Herod didn't find any fault. And now he comes back to me. So you guys have this tradition, this custom, that at the feast, one prisoner is to be released. The same way that, did you know that there are presidential pardons? Did you know at the end of every president, at the end of their term, they're petitioned by the people of the United States to release some prisoners that are on death row? 
You know, would you grant a pardon? Would you grant these people? And every president, it seems at the end of their term, they do this. And this is kind of what they're doing with Jesus. And so Pilate says, hey, you guys have this tradition that at the feast, I'm supposed to release someone to you. Who should I release? Now, Pilate in his mindset is thinking, of course, it's going to, it's going to be Jesus. But there was this other guy that was a murderer that was a, a guy who started a rebellion in the city. His name was Barabbas. And he says, okay, who should I release? And the people cried out saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. In verse 20, Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, he wants Jesus to get off the hook, again, called out to them. Are you guys, are you sure? But in verse 21, they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them a third time, why, what evil has he done? I don't find any reason for death in him. Therefore, I'll chastise him and let him go. But notice this in verse 23. They were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. Now, who were these people? These people were religious leaders. Now, why would religious people want to crucify Jesus? Um. I'm going to try to explain it this way in the best way I know how. Um, I, I just got back from a, a trip to the Philippines, and I, I was blessed. Uh, last Sunday, I taught at Calvary Chapel, Manila. And um, in the Philippines, during Holy Week, uh, there are people that get very religious, and maybe you've even seen this on the news. During Holy Week, there are people literally that are crucified. They they will they will show themselves to be sincere, um, it's about 90, 95 degrees there right now in April. It's a super hot month um, with about 95% humidity. And in the hot days, you will see these people dressed in dark colors, and they're literally carrying their crosses on the road to show that they're really devout, they're really sincere. Some of them will even have a whip. They'll have this whip, and they will whip themselves on the back as they go, some of them to the point of being bloody, because they're showing how serious they are. And then they get to this place where they want to be crucified on, on the cross. Even the Catholic Church is trying to stop people from doing that because it's, it's kind of becoming this tourist attraction. And it's actually becoming popular amongst young people to show that they're really sincere and kind of devout, which is kind of a weird thing. But according to my relatives that are there, they say, yeah, it's a weird thing because after they do that, and they walk this way, carrying the cross, and some of them are even crucified, they'll all get together and they'll get drunk and they'll have this huge party. Because what they did was they showed themselves to be sincere, and now they can kind of do what they want to do. Now we could say, wow, that's kind of a, you know, a, a backwards culture. We don't do anything like that. You know, we don't celebrate Mardi Gras and then go into Lent season after that. You know, we don't like go ahead and party on Fat Tuesday and like do whatever, dress up in costumes and kind of go crazy and, and gluttonize and, and drink. And then, and then Lent, we give something up. We don't do that. See, the religious mindset, and, and I don't mean to be offensive, but this might be offensive to some, not, not purposefully. Jesus is offensive to religious people. And let me explain why. There's only two religions in the whole world. Now, I think that some of you will say, well, no, I, there's Islam, you know, there's Buddhists, there's Hindus, there's, you know, there's Hare Krishnas, there's Christian science. Let me explain it this way. Even if you're a Protestant or a Catholic, there's only two religions in the whole world. The word religion means to relink, to be connected again to God. We know as people that we are disconnected from God. And one religion is this. I will be reconnected to God by my good works. No matter what religion it is, maybe I'll go through the sacraments. If I go to church enough, if I tithe, if I give, if, um, if I stop uh, you know, doing these bad things that I know are wrong and I start doing these good things that are right, then God will accept me. And that is a man-made religion that says, I will climb up to God by being good enough and I will prove to him that I'm good enough because no one's gonna give me a handout no one's going to give me a pass. No one's going to give me a freebie. I'm not going to humble myself like that to say, I need a savior for me. I'm going to save myself. And that religious mindset says Jesus must die. We need to get rid of him 
Because you know what? That's a personal affront to my pride because my pride says I'm going to earn it by being good enough. And the reason why I should go to heaven, the reason why I'm number one on that survey, the reason why if I were to stand before God and God were to say, why would I allow you into heaven? It's this, it's because I'm better than all of these people out there or I'm good enough. And the true religion, the other religion is this. God knew that we aren't good enough. God knew that we are all messed up. God knew that all of us are selfish And that even if we're good on the outside, man, we still have some hatred and some jealousy and some covetousness and some lust. And on the inside, we we look at other people in judgmentalism and and we have this self-righteousness and that will be the sin that condemns us. And God says, the true religion is this, you can't make it. So I will pay the penalty for your sin. That's true religion. See, the religious mindset doesn't, doesn't want to humble themselves to say, I need a savior. Here's the fourth view. It's a guy named Simon. It says in verse 26, um, now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon a Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. Now imagine that Jesus is dehydrated. He hasn't eaten. He's, he's been awake for more than 48 hours. Um, incredible, intense amounts of pressure and stress. And, and in the middle of it, he, he's been beaten. He's had a bag placed on his head and people have punched him in the face full force saying, who hit you? Uh, he's had a crown of thorns placed on his head. He's been whipped 39 times. So his back is ripped open. There's shock that is happening through his system. He's been uh, bleeding out. And in the midst of it, he can't carry the weight of the cross and he collapses. And so they grab this guy named Simon. They say, here, come here. You carry the cross for him. Now in this parade, in this procession, you know, Simon must have just thought, why me? I'm just this innocent bystander. I'm just watching this proceeding and what's happening. But the book of Mark tells us something else happens later on. Simon was the father of two men. One of them was named Rufus and the other was named Alexander. In the book of Romans, Paul sends his greetings to Rufus and Alexander, which means that they became followers of Christ. And I believe that it was when Simon was carrying the cross, when he was following Jesus, that he became a believer. I really believe that Simon was converted by this. And I think that that's interesting because when it comes to other people seeing our faith, especially if you're a parent, I think that our kids will will know that God is real when they see us pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. See, if we only follow Jesus when we win the lottery, when we win the Super Bowl, when uh, we get the promotion, when we get the girl, when everything works out, praise Jesus is real. But I don't follow Jesus when things are hard and I don't follow Jesus when things are bad then people are gonna start thinking, you know what? There's something fake about that. There's something that that says you only follow Jesus as it's convenient and, and as it serves your purposes. See, when it comes to following Jesus in this way, I think that sometimes it's it's the trials that lead some people to Jesus. Some of you came to follow Jesus in good times, but I would venture to say more of you came to follow Jesus during bad times. When it was hard, when you couldn't rely on yourself, when you realized that you couldn't do it, and you said, God, if you're real, I need you. God, if you're real, then show me that you're real. I think for Simon, that there was a change in faith for him when he was carrying this cross and following. The next people, in verse 27, the fifth view that we are going to look at is the view of some of the women that followed him. It says a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. So they showed compassion. But Jesus turning to them said, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. The days are coming in which they will say, blessed are the barren, wombs that never bore and breasts that never nursed. Um, In other words, what Jesus is saying is that bad, bad times are coming. But I think it's interesting that it's, 
many times the women who are spiritually um, acute, you know, spiritually discerning, uh, many times it's the women that, that they have this faith. In fact, the disciples at the time of Jesus going to the cross, they all fled. They all ran away. And I want to tell you that um, for those of you women that, that in your family, you become the hallmark of faith. That's, that's what my mom was for our family. Um, that's what she still is for our family. She's just a stalwart when it comes to her faith. And when I see my mom's faith and how much sacrifice that she went through, you know, she raised us a uh, single parent income, you know, four kids. I didn't know until later on that when, uh, when she came home with, you know, a box of Lucky Charms for us to eat for breakfast, and me and my brother on Saturday morning would watch, you know, TV, and we'd eat a whole box in one sitting. She never told us that that box was supposed to last for a whole week. Um, she worked during the day while we were at school. She picked us up from school, and then she wore graveyard shift, and the whole time was never bitter towards God. The whole time she taught us to trust in God, to say God will provide, God will take care of us. You know, I just want to encourage you, uh, ladies, you play such a key role in the spiritual development of your family and this world. Don't let anyone ever tell you that you don't. Don't let anyone ever tell you that your contribution isn't, isn't great. It is a great thing. In fact, I believe that in many times, it's in the absence of male godly servant leaders today. And that speaks to us as men. Do you know that the least likely person to come to church in America on a Sunday morning is men from ages 18 to 29? The least likely category in age group is men from 18 to 29 which tells me that men are not manning up when it comes to being men of faith and leading by example and being servant leaders. And so men, that's that's our, you know, that's kind of a call to us to be leaders. But for you women, it's also a call to you because we need need female godly servant leaders too. And the last two people that we are going to look through their eyes at the cross is this. There were two criminals. It says in verse 32, this is number six and seven, the seven views that we are looking at this morning. In verse 32, it says, there were also two others, criminals led with him to be put to death. Now the Bible, when it speaks of crucifixion, doesn't describe it in detail. Um, In 1968, an archeological discovery found that those that were crucified were crucified with their knees at a very extreme angle. So, you know, the pictures that we have of Jesus on the cross, his legs are usually straight and one foot on top of the other foot being nailed together. But the actual crucifixions would have their knees bent because it would be suffering for them to push up on their knees, you know, on their feet to try to hold themselves up as they were being crucified. They had to use their own strength in order to do that. Um, the physical suffering was incredibly extreme. Nails would be um, nailed through their wrists, and they weren't nails like we buy at the hardware store. They were like railroad ties, and through their feet, right through the nerve center. Their backs were lacerated by the cat and nine twel- uh, tails, where there would actually be bones and glass that would be tied into the whip, so that as it was Um, you know, as a person was scourged, that it would actually grip on to their back and rip pieces of flesh out of them. Now, the reason why I'm explaining this to you is not just to be graphic. It's because when they explain this, the writers of the New Testament, when people said that they were crucified, they understood this because it was a common thing for them to see the Romans do this. The Romans perfected this. It was a way of punishing someone that broke a a law and above them would be a, a sign that would show what crimes that they had committed. Now for Jesus, as this happened to him, the rough wood upon his back, it wouldn't be like smooth wood. Um, Many times there were insects, there was shock, blood loss, exhaustion, dehydration, and eventually suffocation. And many times it would take days for someone to die by crucifixion. For Jesus, it took three hours, which was very, very uncommon. By the time they went to break the legs of those that were on the crosses, crucified with him, Jesus was already dead. And we know that he gave up his own spirit. And it says in verse 33, when they had come to the place called what? Called Calvary. 
That's why uh, we have the name Calvary. They, were cru- they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. On this day, there were three men that were crucified together. Two of them were crucified for crimes they had committed, and they were not there by their own choice. One of them was crucified for crimes that others committed and was there because he chose to be there. And there's a contrast between Jesus and the two criminals. Now in verse 34, again, imagine with fresh eyes what it was like for one of these criminals that were mocking him, that were with him. To hear this from Jesus's lips in verse 34, then Jesus said, and he said it loudly enough for these words to be recorded for us, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The word excruciating literally means out of the cross or from the cross. We use that word to describe intense amounts of pain. And in the most excruciating moment of pain, of mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual suffering, love did not fail. In that moment, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. And you know, in this statement uttered from the cross, I believe that it teaches us that we can do nothing, when we can do nothing else, we can still pray. It also reminds us this, no one is beyond the power of prayer. Jesus prays. He prays for these people that are crucifying him. He prays for those that are shouting out to be, you know, crucify him. Give us, you know, give us Barabbas. Let him free, but crucify Jesus. And Jesus prays for them. Maybe you have given up praying for certain people. You think they're too far gone. You think they're too cynical. You think that their lives are too far removed. There's no way. But notice that Jesus, he continues to pray. And when he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It reminds us that Jesus is identifying himself with sinful man. He's asking his father to forgive. During his ministry, he He's the one that forgave sins, but at this point, he's identifying with us and he's saying, Father, forgive them. And notice that it it means that even sins of ignorance need to be forgiven. Even sins of ignorance. Maybe you're thinking, well, what if I don't know what's wrong? I don't know what's right. Some of them didn't know what was wrong. I I would really believe that, that there are people throughout history that have done things that are wrong and didn't even realize that some of those things are wrong. And yet he still prays for them in their ignorance, some willingly, some in ignorance. And we see Jesus's willingness to forgive. On the cross, dying for the sins of the whole world, he created a basis for forgiveness. If you were here on Friday evening for a Good Friday service, you remember that the journalist, the reporter, Britt Hume, When Tiger Woods committed adultery in 2010 and he came out publicly and he was weeping and he said, I will study Buddhism and Christianity and some other religions to find some hope and some forgiveness. It was the journalist Britt Hume that said, I implore you to seek the Christ of Christianity because only Christ offers forgiveness. Only Christ is the one that can forgive sin. See, forgiveness always cost the person doing the forgiving. Do you realize that? When you forgive someone and you let it go and they've hurt you and they've done something wrong to you and you're the one that has struggled with unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart and it eats you up, when you forgive them, guess what? It's gonna cost you something. Do you know what Jesus did? He forgave us and it cost us something. Then it says that they divided their garments among him. And uh, the ruler said, he saved himself, let him save others. Then the soldiers mocked him. They said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription also written over him in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And I want you to notice in verse 39, then one of the criminals, here's the sixth view from the cross. One of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and save us. If you're really who you said you are, then go ahead and save yourself and us. And the ironic thing is that if Jesus would have saved himself, he would not have been able to save us. 
the wages of sin is death. Someone has to pay. If, if there were a judge and, and you thought there's new judge on the Supreme Court, you know, he's there and, and, or she's there. And imagine that this new judge says, everyone that is in prison for a life sentence, everyone that is in prison for the death penalty, I pardon you. I let you all go free. Would you celebrate and think what a compassionate judge? Would you celebrate that if it was that person that murdered someone in your family? Life sentence, let them all go free. Even the ones that aren't remorseful, even the ones that don't care, even the ones that haven't repented, even the ones that say, I don't care what I've done, I'm gonna do it anyway, I'll do it again, just let me out of here. We would not think that that judge is compassionate. We think there's something wrong because someone has to pay for that sin or for that crime. Jesus had to pay it. If he didn't pay it, God would not be just to say, let everyone go free. In fact, I am so glad that God is a God of justice. Having just gotten back from the Philippines in which I met with the director of international justice mission there, they did a raid on two brothels simultaneously, one of them holding 100 girls for for human trafficking and another one holding 100 girls for human trafficking. When they got to the first one, they were able to rescue 82 of the girls. When they got to the second one, it was too late. Someone tipped them off and they know that it was probably someone within law enforcement there. There was someone that was getting kickbacks. And you think about that and you get angry. I hope you get angry about that. I hope there's something in you that says that that's wrong and someone should do something to show that there is a God that is just. And Jesus says, by him dying on the cross, he doesn't just let everyone go free. He says, I'll pay the penalty. Now, the last view of the cross is this. It says in verse 40, but the other This criminal crucified on the other side answering rebuked him saying, do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? See, we are getting what we we deserve justly for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus died between two thieves to fulfill prophecy, to show his compassion, to remind us of paradise to follow, to show us his grace and his mercy, and as a witness of his innocence. But these two criminals were equally guilty. And as I close, if we go to the next slide, the whole whole point of the message is this is what does Jesus save us from? Jesus saves, but what does he save us from? If if he just makes my life a little bit better, you know, he's a life enhancement, an add-on. Maybe I'm not so sure if I want that because my life is pretty good as it is. Well, the first thing is this. When um, When Jesus saves, Jesus saves us from hell and from separation from God. God in his holiness, if he just said, everybody, ollie, ollie, all come free. You know, everyone's free. Everyone go ahead. He really wouldn't be a just God. If, if the judge that eventually hopefully catches these people, these perpetrators of these brothels in the Philippines says, okay, are you sorry? And they say, yes, I'm sorry. And he says, okay, go ahead and go free. You're sorry. They said they're sorry. No, someone's got to pay for that. See, what Jesus did is he died to save us from the judgment that was coming to us that we deserve. The second thing, if we go to the next point there, not only did he die to save us from hell and separation from God, but from sin and self-worship. From sin and self-worship. I know that in your life like me, there are parts of me that I want to change. I don't, I don't want to just keep being the same me because there are parts of me that I, they disgust me about myself. There are parts of me that I don't like about myself. And praise God, over the course of time, you know what God has been doing? He's been changing me. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but he's not done with me either. And I'm so glad that he not only saved me from separation from God, I'm so glad that he saved me from self 
because I know the type of person that I can be outside of God's control. I know the kind of person that I could be outside of God's spirit working in my life. And the third thing that he saves us from, if we go to the third one, he saves us from death. Uh, My wife this afternoon is flying out to uh, her grandmother's uh, funeral in West Virginia. Uh, Her grandmother just passed away on Friday. And uh, this morning when we were praying, uh, Larry's, uh, where's Larry? Larry, was it your grandfather? Passed away on Friday as well. You know, my dad just passed away a couple of a couple of months ago. And with all of my heart, with everything, I believe because they knew Christ, that I'll see them again. Absolutely. Oh, death, where is your sting? You know what? Jesus came to save us from death. How does he do that? If we go to the last slide, he does it the same way that he did for the thief on the cross. Number one, and here's where I'm going to ask you to make that decision. First of all, for those of you that have never um, made this decision, you can't be neutral on it. You can't be like Pilate to say, well, I don't see anything wrong with Jesus. To not make a decision is to make a decision. And the question is this, do you believe in God? The first thing is that the thief on the cross said, do you not even fear God seeing that you are uh, under the same condemnation? He really believed that there is a God. Um, In Hebrews, it says that the person that comes to God must first of all believe that God is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's where faith begins. Number two, admitting our own guilt. Remember I told you there's two religions in this whole world. One of them says I'm good enough. That's why God should accept me. The other true religion is this, I'm not good enough. You know what the thief on the cross said? He said, we are getting what we justly deserve for we receive the due reward of our deeds. You know what that's doing? He's not blaming his mom and dad. He's not blaming the way that he was brought up. He's not blaming his circumstances. He's not blaming his husband or his wife or his kids. He's not blaming anyone else. He's simply coming to this place that says, I'm guilty. And I I hope that you experience this morning the freedom of saying that. Because when you say that, guess what? When you confess, I'm guilty, God forgive me, God doesn't see your guilt. But when you say, I'm not guilty, I'm good enough, God says your guilt is right in front of your face and you don't even see it. The third thing, he realized that Jesus had done no wrong. Remember, he said, we indeed justly, we received the due reward for our deeds. But he said, but this man has done nothing wrong. Because Jesus having done nothing wrong, was able to pay the penalty for our sins because he didn't receive the same penalty that we received because he did nothing wrong. So he could pay for us. And finally, the fourth thing is this. He put his faith and trust in Jesus's death. And may I say resurrection, even though the resurrection hasn't happened, because he said to Jesus, he said, Lord, Lord. What does that mean? He recognized who Jesus is. He knows that Jesus is gonna die with him on the cross. And he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, which means he believes that Jesus isn't going to stay dead. This morning, if you are going to trust Jesus in faith, do not put your trust in a dead man. Don't say a dead man will save me. A dead man won't save you. A dead man can't save you. Only one that is truly alive And the thief on the cross next to Jesus recognized this, said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. How do we know that he really was telling the truth? How do we know? What do we celebrate today on Easter Sunday morning? We celebrate something called the resurrection. The body was gone. The disciples who fled weren't brave enough even to testify with him. They all died brutal deaths except for John. John, the one that was with him at the cross, was boiled and he didn't die. And they all did it. And if they knew that it was a lie and they stole the body, they died for a lie. If the Romans wanted to prove that it was really Jesus who, who, who really didn't raise from the dead and they stole the body, the Romans would have just said, here's his body. And they would have quelched a movement But you know what? Jesus's life still affects us today. 
And those of you that have received him can testify. He's changed you from the inside out. You're not perfect. You're still a mess like me, but he's not done with you and he's still working on you. And so this morning, here's the decision. If you have never prayed to ask Jesus for forgiveness and to accept him into your life, let today be that day. Let today be the day of salvation. You know, when I was in the Philippines last week, I asked this question and uh, there were five people that raised their hand as we prayed. And as I got a chance to talk to them after the service, uh, they were traveling through Manila. You know why? It was Holy Week and they were there on pilgrimage. And when they heard that message, it was the first time they realized that it wasn't by their good works or being religious that they would be saved. It's only based on what Jesus has done and by believing that by faith. And you know what he does? He changes you. So I'm going to pray a prayer. And the first prayer that I'm going to pray is for those of you that have never done this and you want to receive Christ, let today be that day. And I I beg of you, please. It's not a pressure thing, but if something resonates in your heart that what I'm saying is true, then that's God speaking to you. The second thing is this. As believers... There are so few believers that share with other people about the good news. There are very, very few Christians that get to experience in our country the joy of leading someone else to Christ. And I want to challenge you to say this this morning, that by faith, with God's help, you'll commit to try to share your faith with others, both by your actions and loving them and by your words. And I'm not saying like by a certain number, there's no quota, But you're just saying, God, would you help me to make that commitment so that when I come back, if the Lord would tarry and I come back here next year, that there's people that I've shared with. Maybe some of them would even be with you here this morning. So I'm going to pray that. And then afterwards, as the worship team comes up, we're going to have a a baptism. Uh, You know, one of the greatest things is that sometimes there are people that get baptized not knowing that today's the day they're gonna be baptized. If you would like to do that, baptism does not save you. What it's doing is it's telling the whole world and everyone here, I've made that decision to follow Jesus. And so let's pray. And as we pray, if you want to make that decision to say, Jesus, forgive me, come into my life and change me, then by faith, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray that along with me. So let's let's pray. So we have the worship team come up. This morning, some of you are visiting from out of town. Maybe some of you are invited here. Maybe some of you have been churchgoers and very religious. You felt like if someone were to ask you if you were going to heaven, you would say yes, but your reason was all wrong. Your reason was because I'm good enough or I'm religious or because I, I do, I'm not as bad as other people. There's some of you here that you're struggling with that faith because you don't have all of the answers to all of the questions. But this morning, God has given you enough, enough light for the next step. And when you take that step of faith, God will show you what the next step is. And for those of you that um, have never prayed this, um, if you would like to receive Christ into your life, like the thief on the cross, he didn't have time to come down off of the cross to live a good life. He simply prayed and trusted Christ. He put his faith in what Jesus had done for him. And if that's you, then would you just lift your hand? Is there anyone here this morning that you would desire to pray this prayer between you and the Lord and say, Jesus, come into my life? As we sing this song, um, at the end of the song, I'm going to pray and uh, I'll lead you in that prayer. And so at the end of this song, if that's you, just raise your hand. And uh, some of you, maybe it's, Maybe it's, hey, I'd like to get baptized today. And for others of you, maybe it's, hey, you know what? I want to commit to sharing this good news. So Lord, this morning, we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be at work in us and through us. Father, I pray that you would give um, those here this morning the faith to be able to stand. Lord, not to be swayed by the public like Pilate, But Lord, like the thief on the cross to say, remember me, just remember me. And uh, Lord, that you would stir up our hearts. As we worship you this morning, I'm praying God that you would work and that there would be salvation today, that some would be saved 
they would know what they're saved from and they would know what they are saved to. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing this song and at the end of it, I'm just gonna ask you if you would desire to pray that prayer with me. The Bible teaches us that no one can come to God unless the Holy Spirit draws them. So it's not convincing words by a person. It's not um, the joy and peace that another person experiences. It's not a, a fear. It's really the Holy Spirit that draws someone. How do you know that? That your heart is beating and you resonate in your heart that this is true. And so I'm going to pray this prayer and I would just ask if there's anyone here that has never received Christ, I would venture to say that there are. Um, you would like to do that today. Today is just saying I do. It's a, it's a lifelong thing. The blessing is this. He does give you peace. He does give you joy. But I'll tell you what, it starts with that step of faith. It starts at the beginning of saying, God, I humble myself to receive you. So as we pray, if we could uh, bow our heads, if that is you and you would like to pray this prayer with me, then where you are, just lift your hand. If you would like to pray to receive Christ, just right where you are by faith. If you want to say, God, I can't do it on my own. I have questions, but at the same time, by faith, I trust you like that thief on the cross. If you want to trust in Christ, just lift up your hand to say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, come into my life and change me. As we pray, there may be some of you that, you know, you're nervous. Someone brought you. And uh, out of love, they wanted you to come. And I want to just one more time implore you. If you, would love to, if you would like to receive Christ, God loves you. He knows you. He knows you by name. Anyone would like to receive Christ, just lift up your hand. And this morning, if we are believers... I really hope and pray that there's something that happens in your heart right now because there's something that's happening in, in my heart right now. There are 50-something thousand people that live in Santa Cruz. There's 11,000-something that live in Scotts Valley. There's probably about the same that live in uh, Boulder Creek and Ben Lomond, and there's Aptos, and there's Capitola, and there's Soquel, and there's everywhere in between. You know, there's a lot of people that aren't this morning, not just here, but they're not worshiping, following Christ. And I pray this morning that there is something that is provoked within your heart that would say, God, I'm going to make a commitment, but I need your help. And it's not a New Year's resolution type of thing, but it's just saying, God, would you give me enough love for people to share? Would you give me enough compassion for others that I would share my faith with them. Because we live in a world that is saying, don't share your faith. We're living in a world that says, keep your faith to yourself. That's between you and your religion, and that's private. But there are many people that don't know Christ, and you're the one that has the message, and you uniquely have a relationship with them that I don't have and that other people don't have. And maybe your prayer this morning is for boldness. Your prayer is for love and you're committing to say, God, if you would give me the courage and the strength and faith, I want to share with others what you've done for me. And if that's you, would you raise your hand and say, Lord, I want to commit to sharing my faith with others and I'm asking you for help to do that. Now, I'm, I'm asking that, that God, you would give me concern. And I pray that this this morning that the Holy Spirit does that work because really only the Holy Spirit can. Let's pray. Father, this morning, first of all, for salvation. Lord, maybe there was even someone here that is afraid right now because we live in a world that uh, really says that that's private and uh, it's a difficult thing. But Lord, I pray this morning that they would open up to you and say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I can't do it. I can't earn it. But God, would you just come into my life? I believe in Jesus and I believe in what he's done. 
and I put my faith and trust in what he has done, not in what I have to do. Forgive me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Then, Father, for those of us that are believers, we ask you, Lord, that by faith you would give us an urgency, that you would give us a love for people that says, I believe this to be true, and so I can't allow you to go your own way without letting you at least know that that there is a God that loves you. I pray, God, that you would motivate us by your love for us, that it's not an obligation as much as it is responding to your great love. I pray, God, that you would give us boldness, that you would give us the ability to overcome our, our, our fears. Lord, maybe not even knowing all the right words to say, but God, that you would speak through us. And Lord, we don't only pray for us here this morning, we pray for every church that gathers this morning. God, our world needs you. And Lord, as your people, we wanna say, use us. Lord, give us your power, give us your strength. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. As the ushers come forward to receive the offering, if you are visiting, you're never obligated to give, but if you would like to give as a response of worship, then you have the opportunity to do so. And then after that, we are going to have a baptism for those of you that can stay for this baptism. If you haven't been baptized, we have towels for you. You know, we don't have a change of clothes. We got some towels. And, uh, you know, you can walk out of here, you know, with uh, barefoot and wet and uh, filled with, with God's presence. And so if that's you, uh, we would just invite you to just come over here to be baptized. And so uh, let's pray for the offering. Lord, we thank you. You've shown us as a result of uh, this Resurrection Sunday, that you are the one that provides. You provided salvation for us. So God, I pray that you would help us to give because you're a generous God. Help us to give, Lord, not out of guilt or compulsion, but because, Lord, you, wanna, you want us to put you first, but you also want to use these tithes and offerings, Lord, to further your work, not only here, but abroad. So we pray, God, that you'd bless the offering, and we thank you for providing. In Jesus' name. Amen.